Welcome to the Handmade Jewelers Podcast, a podcast designed as a resource for small-scale handmade jewelers to scale their businesses. Today's episode, I will be interviewing Dana Ho, founder of AmoraCast. AmoraCast is a very successful online jewelry component store. Dana is a very successful entrepreneur in the jewelry industry, and I think that she will be a great resource for anyone trying to scale their business online. So, without further ado, here's the audio for my interview with Dana Ho. So, when did you start getting into jewelry? Well, actually, it's a long story. I started in 1992 when I was still an undergrad. Um, I assume you weren't even born yet back then. I was not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you for not giggling first. But I, I was an undergrad um, in 1992, I decided to raise money for the student union, and uh, so I got into jewelry. It was the easiest thing for me to do, uh-huh. uh, and I was studying finance. Climbing really wasn't for me. I got the I got to where I wanted to be in terms of career, but uh, then I switched. And I, I was doing that full time, so I would say it started in 1992, a while back. Yeah. So. Do you remember the first jewelry piece or component that you designed? We're not. They, no, they started off being finished jewelry, and then I started designing components based on my own needs. And I mm. wasn't getting the quality I needed, so I recognized that in order to control my production process, I really needed better components supplied to me on a regular basis, a more dependable source. And that's how I got into designing my own components. And then later on, a lot of, I wouldn't say competitors, but people who were also in my industry were asking me where I was getting the components. And they were more interested in my components than my finished pieces. So I thought, okay, well, I I could I could sell them to you. And it's from there. Mm-hmm. Was there a certain point where you realized it could be your career? Or did it just take off? I always wanted, I thought having an office job, and I studied law for a while, I thought I really wanted a more corporate job because you gain more respect, instant creds. I didn't want to be a starving artist. Backtrack, I've always painted. I'm more of a portrait artist. But I knew that I didn't want to pursue that because it's hard to make ends meet. I didn't want to be, I didn't want to live off of cat food. That was for sure. So um, I went to the top university, got the, the, the brand name degree. I thought I was going to get, uh, be happy in, um, in a position like that. And art jewelry design was going to be my side thing for, for leisure, um, would be my hobby. Mm-hmm. Then I found that a lot of my friends who were in uh, commercial law and they were making six six figures, they were really unhappy. And I was having second thoughts. I thought, well, you know, I, I've proven that I can do all those things. And sometimes you do a lot of networking. And I would I would say after a couple of hours, and I'm I'm really good at 
writing business plan, doing all those things. But after three hours, I'm, I'm glass eyed and tired. But with jewelry, I was finding that I could go on day and night. I don't need to sleep, drink or, or anything. And the longer I was working at it, the happier I was. And at some point, I decided that this is more important um, for me to be happy. And it was an absolute bonus for me to be making money as well. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's so cool that you're so passionate. So has your design process evolved at all as you've gotten more access to equipment and materials? I started off with um, a lot of some base metal, and I would have that done um, overseas. And, and with with base metal, you can do heavier, chunkier pieces. It's a lot cheaper. But I, ne- I found that with base metal, as in brass, copper, nickel plating, people have... Um, you have allergic reaction, and also it's more of disposable jewelry. But the look is different. You can do chunkier pieces and still for it to be price accessible to the mass market. But as I decided that I wanted to go into precious metal, so sterling silver, and I for a while there I did gold until the, the price of gold just skyrocketed. Mm-hmm. So with sterling silver, uh you, you cannot make such heavy pieces. The market, although I like it, but the market cannot, it just, it's not sustainable. It's harder yeah. to move. So I've changed, although I still like flora, fauna, and also organics, I've also had to change the design to make it slightly lighter. So it'd be more filigree versus solid impressions. Um, and then, as I see what is popular, I, I, I start changing. So with more precious metals, then I, I have changed um, the way my aesthetic. And with that, I've had to also change where the components are made. So it used to be the chunkier pieces could be made in Mexico, and Israeli factories are really good for chunkier pieces. But then when you are doing lost wax casting or certain technique uh, where it has to be filigree. So you know what filigree is, right? So Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, so it's cut through kind of for those who who, who are not sure. The problem is a lot of factories cannot do that because when you are casting in lost wax casting, sterling silver casting and not a stamping, when something is fine, usually there's warping, it's not as clean. So I've had to move my production to factories that specialize in higher quality sterling silver. And mm-hmm. they use different equipment. So when I'm making things slightly thinner and I want my logo etched on inside of a specific piece, then it needs the factory needs to be able to use a laser engraving technique versus a stamped technique. Anyway, so my my... I think I'm answering your question with access to different metals or targeting a different price point. I've had to change uh, not only the aesthetic, but the technology that is being used. Yeah. Makes sense. It's yeah. interesting. Yeah. You change everything almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so what on my constant has been is I provide really high quality components and I have found that at, at the beginning, I'm going to say, 
and this this answers some perhaps a, a, another question that you might be asking or your audience might want to know. You know, uh, do you what price point? Or how do I start segue in into the jewelry industry? Should I go low end so that or or make my keep my prices really low so that I could get some sales? Or do I target really high end? Well, the thing is, it's always easier to lower your price point. It's hard to work your way up. I have found that right at the beginning when I put, I decided, okay, I'm going to scrap lower quality. I just, just, it's not me. I don't feel comfortable with it. So what I have done, what I, what I've done was, um, I just went straight. I dumped, I dumped my, um, lower price point items and put on, went into a much higher price point, better quality, I should say, better quality, better value market. Right at the beginning, I didn't have a lot of sales. I lost my low-end customer. I hadn't developed the, the high-end. And this, so I was starting from fresh, like some, perhaps some of your listeners who are wondering, where should I go? I had no customers and it took me a while to be known for really high quality components. And now, if anyone was looking for that, was looking for high end, or they've become dissatisfied with components that are not very good, or they've sold some pieces, had them returned, and now they realize, okay, I, I need to do, I, I need to find something better because I'm hand making this. They come to me and are growth, I would say, is far bigger than my colleagues were in the industry or in the market segment I used to be in. You know what I mean? Yeah. The low-end the low end competition from Asia has swamped the low-end. Alibaba, AliExpress, yeah. that, is, that is right. You're, you're competing with all the junk out there. How do we, as the handcraft market, um, the, the local artisan market, how do we survive when you can get something for $2 sent to you, postage included, out of Asia? The way to do it is to go higher quality. Of course, you want, um, you want to provide better service and all that other, all that, the whole package of marketing. But I feel, above all, quality is extremely important. And the things that are coming out of Asia or H&M, you know, where it's $16 for a pound of necklace. Those, you cannot compete based on price with them, with those people. It has to be quality and also the look. Yeah, big differentiator there. Yeah. Go high end, yeah. Do you have a meaning behind any of your components? Because I've noticed that some of them are like works of art, even though they're just components. Thank you. Yes, I do. There are a lot of number of pieces with meaning, and I try not to. You know, there is a market for kitsch, like the pineapple. You'll, you'll have things like um, uh, cactus, etc., which is very on trend. But uh, I try to make pieces that are, although they have meaning to me, they might not. It's not as uh, it's not as out there. It, it's a bit more it's a bit more cryptic. Mm-hmm. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of them I do have meaning, and sometimes I share that on my post, but a lot of the time I don't, not in the marketing material. Uh-huh. Is it kind of finding a balance between, like, having a meaning but not trying to, like, create components that take away from the jewelers trying to make meaning? That's right. That's what I, I think. I think that's what I was trying to say. You know, sometimes something might, a certain symbol might might mean something to you, but you don't want to dictate it so as to uh, take away from interpretation by someone else. You want to leave the opportunity available. And that's what I try to do. So uh, even though, say, for instance, I have something that for me was a tree with roots and so on, it could be, it could be something else and I make it somewhat abstract so that it could be interpreted in a different way. And for someone else, it could simply be a piece of art without, and for them, they could, they could add their own meaning to it by adding different stones. So I, I leave that open. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting spot to be. I, that's kind of cool. Thank you. So how did you go about scaling your business online? So with online... You caught me at a bad moment because Google, we, Google Cloud is the, the server that uh, supports our site and it's been crashing the last few days. And so I'm in a, in a, not a great mood. Mm-hmm. Because scale, with scaling your, your business online, and that is the way, it's the place we need to go. It, that is the future. So much of it is dependent on technology. Mm-hmm. And I feel, with ours, talk about um, technical limitations. In the beginning, I we tried one site and wanted we we used uh, now we currently use uh, WooCommerce. We tried different sites and, and as a package provider, software provider. The problem is as you get bigger, it becomes more difficult, expensive to transfer all the data entering. And it, so I would say if really you're for if you're starting out, if budget is an issue, yes, then go through WordPress. But at some point, spend the time to investigate properly. Go with something that you can expand and grow into. With respect to our the growth in our business, I feel that certainly social media has had a huge impact. Yes. And the scale, well, yes. I don't know if my scaling would apply to the, the regular artisan because for for me, the limitation is more of how quickly I can create designs and having them manufactured and just-in-time system is very important. So from the factory to here, and we sell out of things all the time. And provided you can have the right things at the right time, really sky's the limit. The limitations for an artisan creating pieces is you can only work so quickly with a couple of sets of hands. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, um, it, the challenges would be different. For us, social media, we've tried different things, advertising, uh, trade shows, online advertising, uh, collaborations with influencers, and we've tried different things. And I think social media, where we're at providing better content, has been the major impetus for our growth. Mm-hmm. So what advice do you have for people that want to scale their handmade jewelry businesses on social media? So 
Now, I haven't tried an exhaustive list of possible possibilities and things to do. So this, so keep in mind, this is all just the things I have tried. And mm-hmm. what I think, what has helped has been creating content that is informative. So last year, I had, as you, you probably know my age, I'm a little older, I, and, and I'm not really in, I was not into social media the way someone that's following generation, two generations later would be into. And what I did was, and we were really behind, what I did was I hired someone who was, quote unquote, an influencer who was, who was good at social media, but the problem we had was she did not really understand our market, the end user. So that was, we didn't get as much result as I had anticipated, as I wished. So we tried different things and I decided to take it over and we tried different things and, and we did A-B testing, made conscious effort. And what made a difference for us, and I've, I've since spoken to some of our clients, what seems to make a big difference aside from the better quality photos, lighting, pieces are on trend, etc. Aside from those things, what is most the, the and they say, oh, content, the quality of your content is important. Well, we tried all sorts of things, and what seemed the most effective has been things that are informative. So, for example, for us, the how-to techniques how to make something, the very basic things, that has helped us gain followers. Uh, better quality photos, yes. And then as I've spoken to our clients, so jewelry designers, makers, um, and they've said, yes, uh, quality of uh, the pieces, et cetera, was, and better curation. But for them to share info, as in styling, some styling tips. So tips seem to to be well received and get you a lot of instant followers. Yeah, definitely adding adding value. It seems like is a consistent theme yeah. that helps people. Mm-hmm. So, did you have any experience in photography or videography before you started your page, or did you just learn through experience? So, um, the answer to that is. No, I did not inherit a lot of equipment, but, or I should say expensive equipment. I have a lot of it, but I wasn't getting the results. I, I don't have any sort of for any sort of formal training at all. And using the different, I just was not getting the results without photoshopping, just was not good. But then, Someone introduced, and this is when when um, iPhone 6s first came out. Um, I got a phone, and it was easy. And then I worked with lighting, experimented with lighting. And then sometimes you you can you can read up on you can see watch on YouTube, even on Instagram tips on photography. And I I try to share anything I learn. I share my tips. Um, be it on Instagram or on my website, but I think a lot, a lot of it is to do with trial and error. And certainly, I've, I've since bought a lot of equipment. You know, at a trade shows, it's very tricky to take a photo of sterling silver against a white background. That is very tricky. 
and I I was trying to I was wondering how does Tiffany's how how do they take such beautiful solid sterling silk and the background is white and it's perfect. Then I found out that a friend takes photos, a professional photographer, their their photo shoots plus the editing is about fifty thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> yes. And uh, without going into detail of how they, why they're able to take um, photos with uh, with such precision where it sparkles everywhere, is that the one item they have um, camera equipment that takes that takes 34 photos at different angles and then they merge it together so it sparkles like it because you would never be able to achieve that on your own with your own camera. Mm-hmm. So yes. Equipment is important, and then um, just, I guess, trial and error. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's the coolest and possibly unexpected thing that's happened because you own a successful online jewelry business? Um, well, it, the strange thing is I, I do videos, uh, and I, I, I don't like putting my face in front of it, but people recognize my voice. And they're always, and they sometimes call in or they're, they, they come in and they, they introduce themselves to me as though I'm some sort of celeb mm-hmm. and based on my voice, which makes me a little bit uncomfortable, but I think <laughs> actually, <laughs> I've never liked my own voice. I don't, and I had to do these videos because no one else at the office would, uh, was willing. So that is the unexpected thing. And we're very lucky. Our customers, our, our people are great. I, I wouldn't say that I didn't expect it. I was hoping for it. It has it, it has monetized. Mm-hmm. Our our sales are up and people are which I did not expect. Selling things right off of Instagram, or in our case with Morecast, we get I would say we get eight or nine uh, messages wanting to know if they can buy the component and. We now we we send them to our clients, and we know that that has monetized for our clients. So that's that's great. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's it, it was the results were better than I had anticipated. Yeah, that's so cool. Thank you. All right. So, what's the biggest thing you've learned from creating your brand? That actually. Now this this might not have others might not experience the same thing I I experience. I I feel that I I suffer from self doubt, mm-hmm. and this imposter syndrome I know is experienced by a lot of people out there. And if I could give one piece of advice with respect to that is, if you're going to build a brand, go with way more self confidence and way more confidence than you whatever it is you're feeling at this moment. And I think that is key to success. Uh-huh. But the first first thing, if you're going to build a brand, really believe in the brand mm-hmm. first. And even if you're you're thinking, oh, and I've I've had a conversation recently where someone had said, you know, I don't feel good about selling. I don't charging so much money, um, as you suggest, when I'm just putting your piece on a hook and dropping something out. That's not and and I'm I'm embarrassed that I'm taking taking credit for something like that. And what I say is, you build a brand, you should 
you should have absolute confidence to say and own it. Yes, whatever I decide to put behind this brand, whatever product, I own it. I believe in it 100%. And yes, I'm going to promote the hell out of it and go forth. So that is something that a lot of people, I find people starting out, uh, they're not sure. The second, I think, uh, equally important, I should say, equally important message behind branding or what you should do is it needs to be a consistent message. So when I say consistent from if if you're if you're going for whimsical, keep the color whimsical, font, everything, even your persona, your your um your copy as in your text, your your mm-hmm. messages, all consistently whimsical, lighthearted, etc. But if you're going luxury, con- do that. And a lot of people, you know, they they'll create a name and and the the font is a little bit strange or they'll they'll cheap out on the card or decide anyway, it needs to be a well thought out. Branding is an art in itself and there are people who make a living out of branding. So consistent message. You need to know you need to have decided who your target audience is. And how, when they see your package, are they perceiving reading the message the way you want projected? So knowing your audience is really important. Communicating the way you want to communicate to that audience. Everything about you, from the box that comes in, the tag, everything should be consistent and, and fall in order. And same thing with Pricing, that's a pricing strategy. Pricing strategy should also be consistent to your branding and your message. Yeah. 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 Did you? <laughs> I can you, go on and on. <laughs> I can tell how passionate you are. I, I admire it a lot, actually. It's... Oh, good. So when you started your brand, did you have to define your values and your message, or was it already in the back of your mind? Well, I so for the components, I knew that, Everything I wanted to do was going to be high-end. Um, and I didn't want, although my favorite color really is, or favorite colors are gray and green, we we actually put some thought into making sure that our brand does not, it's not too similar to someone else's brand, color, etc. And for cast, the name, because we, we're there to support people who are making things. So a cast actually stands for loving what you make. Love what you make is a cast. And so we, and we're, it's casted. So I know that from my, from my experience, your brand should say something about the product. So we're about inspiring people to love what they do. And we make that possible. And I think our, our value, our, our killer app, our value is a more cast allows the novice, the the artist to access to making very professional quality jewelry very quickly without without a huge amount of training. On the other hand, we provide we allow the professional jewelry makers to use our high quality components and save time in the manufacturing process 
we help them make money. So thinking and thinking, we decided what we should do is it is love what you make, be it that you are a novice or a professional. And that's how the brand came about. Mm -hmm. So when you started out, did you think you'd have that two different types of clients or did you think you'd be focusing on one? You know, I started out really targeting um, the professionals. So some of the things, that's why it needs to be really high quality. And I thought, oh, high-end pieces is not, a lot of people starting out, they they want inexpensive components because they they probably don't have a huge amount of money. This could be their side thing. They don't have a, a large budget to invest. So I understand that um, really the people who are starting out, the novice, they don't they they prefer to buy things that are inexpensive because it, it takes time for you to recognize high quality versus low, and then it's all based on uh, on cost. And I, I mm-hmm. find that yes, novice the the um, people new to jewelry making, they, they're a lot more price sensitive. So I started out targeting, targeting the, the professionals. So where if they're making something already, instead of casting it, instead of having to do it themselves, solder or whatnot, I've done it, I've done it in a way so that um, it could be made easily. Yeah, without having them to, to set to things. So because I came, I come from jewelry making background and I was making things to a shortcut of having, instead of having to make every single piece by hand, I would have a factory cast exactly what I would have done here and, um, and leaving out certain possibilities. So I know what is needed, um, mm-hmm. for, for wholesale and jewelry. Never, I wasn't even thinking retail. I was thinking wholesale people who can who need high quality en masse. But then I realized that actually, when with the the advent of Etsy and now Instagram and and people making their own jewelry, a lot of people are um, they're interested in having the side hustle. It always starts off with a side hustle, a hobby or or whatnot. And then and we realized that actually. Those people, there's a large market now because of social media. The entry to the the barrier to entry of starting your own business has significantly lowered. So now we have a whole segment of people with full time jobs um, who want a creative outlet and perhaps have this as a full time thing. And so I started to just to recap. I started with the professional. And that was the, the original market. Mm-hmm. So do you have an overarching goal in your jewelry career or are you just seeing where it goes? Well, I, I'm going to tell you, I have reached my overarching goal in life. Mm-hmm. So what happened was uh, maybe about a year ago, because of personal reasons, I wasn't able to, I had to take time um, for one of my kids. I had to take time away from work, et cetera. And a few things came, came to my mind. One, I really, I truly love what I do. I love what I do. and Yeah, I can tell. <laughs> I love what I do. And 
not being able to come into work or because I had to be with my child, um, I really missed it. And I, I needed to be more flexible with time. So a few things. I decided I'm going to make this business work for me. And the people, now I have to say, not just me, I have an extremely good team. And if, as going back to what we, we talked about, to scale a business, you're only as good as your team. So some people might think, oh, if I could just get on online store, et cetera. And at some point, you cannot, if you cannot produce the product, you need more help or you can't ship, et cetera. You need to build that team. And people often forget great businesses have gone under because they don't have the the team behind it. And so that that's another full conversation altogether about human resources and, and, and teamwork, et cetera. I decided that two things here. I'm going to make – I have a great team, and they've been with me for umpteen years. I'm going to make this business work for all of us, and not just me. We have a few people who have no kids and they want to travel, or they certain ones don't want to work weekends, et cetera. So we have carved it out in such a way as for it to work for everyone. Um, job satisfaction is extremely, extremely important. So last year, I I decided, okay, I'm going to ask everyone what it is that they value the most. Some would say more time. Some would say, well, I would, you know, I wish I had more pay and these are certain days I don't want to work, et cetera. And also, I just decided that, um, decided we're, ha- we're going to have cocktails daily because mm-hmm. at our office, we like to drink. We're going to celebrate all the little wins. People get to take vacations when they want to. We just, we just, um, cover each other. Yeah. So now I I have basically my dream job, doing exactly what I want, and yeah, I I work very few hours a week. I travel when I want to, and I spend time with the kids. That's an awesome overarching goal. <laughs> Congratulations yeah. on getting there. <laughs> yes, awesome. and I believe, honestly, honestly, because I was a workaholic. And I was preparing myself to do finance and law, and I did, and I'm used to doing 60 hours a week, et cetera. Um, I feel that if I can do it, anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah. Good for you. (laughs) Thanks. So I have two questions that are pretty similar. First is there a formal research process that goes into identifying which components are being used a lot right now and which need to go into your store? And second, where do you get the inspiration for your more unique pieces? This this would also apply to anyone deciding to make jewelry. What should you put into your your, your new collection, etc.? Should be a combination of two things. Yes, you should always, always do proper research, as in even if um, asking around, you know. So in my case, buyers come 
and and I'm chit-chatting and say, hey, if I was to ask you tomorrow, I have a day off, and I'll make uh, I'll make something that you want to use. What would it be if I had enough time to make two items? And they some some people tell you, and some people are humming and hawing, etc. And you just tweak your message, tweak your question. So I do do uh, proper research uh, in terms of asking around. I look at the sales. A formal research would be looking at past sales. Uh, I don't get too upset if something bombs because you don't know until you try. If everything is is selling really well and everything is super popular, well, only tells me that I'm not making enough of different kinds of things, right? Because you should always test. I look at sales. I ask around. And then what I do is I just do random things. And sometimes the girls here will vote me down saying, no, no, that just, don't do it, Dana. That, that thing is just ugly. And sometimes I'll just do it. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody hell. Or someone will say, can you make what? what, And I'd say, hell no. No, that's just wrong. I'm not. Forget it. And um, I allow them to to say, okay, everyone's got one or two possibles where they say, okay, no, no, just make this for me and I will be happy and I'll get out of your hair. I'll make it if I'm wrong. Sells really well. I'm I'm a big enough girl to say, okay, I was wrong, you know. Cause, and we try we try to keep track of how things perform. And uh, so so that is that, you know. You always have to keep track of your sales and what has been popular. And you should always spend a bit of time. I do. I I don't like to go out shopping, but I do browse online to see what people are using. Um, I follow a few people who are high-end designers. Just for, even if not inspiration, sometimes it might be some flower and somehow you, you think of, oh, oh, wait a minute, I could have a bird flying in this direction because I saw a flower that, it, ha- it could be not really related. So I, I get inspiration in that way by looking at what's in the market. At the same time, sometimes it's everyone should have taste. When you try to follow whatever is exactly on trend, and then whatever you think other people are selling, well, by the time you create it, it, it really maybe you're behind already, and you're not known for something. You should, as a designer, you should always have some consistent because you should have taste. I, I feel you should have some sort of consistent aesthetic, something that appeals to you. Yes. I also have all the chichi pineapples and, and uh, hibiscus flowers, and, and, and I'm, you know, I'm going to make a Sasquatch pendant because someone else has asked me over and over again to make some Sasquatch. Well, it will be done. But you should always go with whatever appeals to you and make a statement. I like that. So what kind of thought do you put into building a community around your brand on social media? You know, I don't put in that much thought. You cannot start off being an elitist and say, I'm only going to cater to these people. Or I'm only going to, you know, I remember, it's interesting, Tommy Hilfiger 
back in the day. He promoted his brand. It was shortly after Ralph Lauren. And he thought he was going to be like Ralph Lauren, where it is elite, uh, preppy, you know, that, that kind of polo club preppy scene. Except when he did, and his cuts are very similar to the polo, the cotton, the material, the grade, and even price point. But he said he was surprised. I don't remember if he said he was a little bit disappointed that his crowd, his audience, turned out to be a lot edgier rappers. Um, so not the squeaky clean polo, the prep school crowd. So sometimes what I'm saying is you might have something specific in mind and it doesn't turn out that way. So I design things that appeal to me. I don't, I try not to dictate the client and if they like something, then I like them for liking and supporting my brand. There's something in my messages I just decide to add my own humor in it. And if they get it, they get it. If they don't, then so be it. I keep it so that I don't put in... Uh, there are a few things I keep out. Uh, some some things I, <laughs> I try to tone down the language so it's not so rough and, and send more more sensitive people. Other than that, I, I don't think I spend too much time specifically trying to cater to a, a type of person, my audience. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. All right. Well, that's my last question. Uh, I want to thank you so yeah. much for your time. Uh, you're, you're welcome. You're so impressive to me. <laughs> I I love the way you think about business. It's just like it's like ideal. <laughs> like I just love it. Excellent. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm flattered, and I wasn't expecting to be flattered at all. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Okay, thank you so good. much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks, Avery. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Handmade Jewelers podcast. Uh, I look forward to bringing you more content that helps you scale your handmade jewelry business. Make sure to check us out for more on at Sulis, S-U-L-I-S, displays on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Uh, Yeah. Thanks so much. See you next time. I like it when we talk, so tell me everything you wanna be. Maybe it's a fool's gold, something like a distant diamond ring.